Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you all. This is the Business Day Spotlight, your destination for African business made simple. My name is Mudiwa Gavaza, and for today, we do get into an interesting conversation around uh, business turnarounds. Um, you know, within the South African context, um, you know, one could argue that uh, this is probably a skill um, or a service uh, that's probably, uh, you know, needed in, uh, you know, many of the local organizations companies uh, you know some would even point to state-owned or state-affiliated companies you know in that respect and we're going to be talking to a uh, turnaround expert just around uh, you know thoughts um, you know around the current business environment and why he um, given uh, why he's decided to come and set up um, you know in South Africa given the fact that you know there's a whole world out there you know why South Africa in terms of you know all of these uh, business turnarounds so to make uh, uh, to make sense of all of it we are joined by michael dawn who is uh, the ceo of uh, rt group and uh, he's just going to be shedding some light um, you know around this particular area michael greetings to you yes good morning mudiva how are you Ah, no, 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 doing well on this end, uh, always, always, always. Uh, did I pronounce the surname correctly? Yes, Michael Dawn. Michael Dawn, okay. No, 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 that's, uh, that's excellent. Um, I think a good place for us to start, uh, you know, Michael, is maybe getting a little bit, um, of your maybe before we even get to experience but uh rather why have you decided that you know rt you're going to have one of your one of your main offices you know in south africa because um you know at least from my understanding um uh coming from you know coming from europe why did you decide that you know this would be one of your one of your big bases yeah, I think it's a, it's a couple of points actually. So one is a very personal one. Um, my wife and I started loving South Africa very early on. So when we were much younger, we traveled a lot. And at some point of time, we decided we want to live in South Africa at some point. <clears throat> and, um, so we moved during COVID actually to South Africa. Um, so that was one of the things. So we, left Germany, we left Munich, uh, we moved to Cape Town just to have a different living, different lifestyle. Um, and that, that's one of the reasons why we're in South Africa. The other reason is I have been working in over 50 countries in the last 10 years. So I've been living in the US, I've been living in Europe, I've been in Asia, I've been in Australia, New Zealand, I've worked in Africa. Um, and in the end, what I found out in every single country, there's business opportunity. It's always a bit different. Um, but what I love about South Africa is the mix and the richness of diversity that this country offers. And I'm always trying to paint the picture. If you want to prepare a soup and you're in Africa, you have much more spices than you can put into the soup. And if you're really trying to be a good chef, so to say, then you have much more opportunity. And um, I really, I had the opportunity to work in Johannesburg in 2015, 16, 18, and 19, so nearly four years. And what I experienced was a country that has a really good business culture, really good people. And if you mix that with all we have, diversity, corruption, political <laughs> insecurity, that is a pure, a perfect melting pot actually for doing business. 
you just need to see it positive instead of as we typically do on a daily basis, see the negativity in it. So that's the reason why we moved to South Africa. That's the reason why we set up one of our offices here. And so far, it works quite well. All right. So, you know, uh, there's a lot, you know, that's uh, that's being said there and a lot of, uh, you know, um, reasons for coming to the country. Uh, but I guess delving into the nitty gritty, um, you know, of things for today is the fact that, uh, you know, turn around, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of experience in terms of turning around uh, businesses. I think from uh, what we're able to glean, you know, businesses like, you uh, uh, like Dell, like uh, Xerox, like uh, Linda, like um, Afrox. Um, just a little bit, you know, around that, you know, uh, could you give us uh, some of that experience? I also know that, uh, you know, there's a, there's some, ex- there's a lot of experience obviously coming from Germany. Um, you, you know, being CEO, um, you know, of a number of uh, different companies such as Primacom, et cetera. So just getting into the experience, you know, piece of it and how you got into uh, the turnaround because usually people don't just get into turnaround. Turnarounds, you know, you have a career, um, you, know, you know, you have some success, and then you decide that, okay, fine, guys, I think I'm good at this thing of turning around businesses. Yeah, it's um, actually, I, I had a discussion with a friend yesterday, and we were going through my, you know, through my life as you do, you know, while you're sitting um, at home. And um, initially, actually, I wanted to become a doctor. Yeah. Um, but then I did an internship in the hospital, and I figured out I couldn't see blood. So that option was gone. <laughs> gone. <laughs> then I wanted to become a marketeer. And by coincidence, I ended up doing my first restructuring case when I, when I was about 20. And yesterday night, while we were discussing actually these three instances, like doctor, marketeer, and restructuring professional, what we found out is what all of that brings together is actually it's about people. As a doctor, you want to heal people. As a marketeer, you want to help people. And as a restructuring professional, what we actually do in turnaround and restructuring is actually helping people to see the positivity in their business model and to see or help them to see how beautiful it is if you shake the business really heavily and then you turn it around and then you have a bright future. So I think a short answer to your question is I think I got into turnaround because I'm so people focused and I'm so interested in people. And and also what you mentioned is um you know, what did I learn about my career, which is now over 20 years? What did I learn in the US? What did I learn in Germany? What did I learn in Africa? In the end, what I learned is if you want to be good in my profession, the way I define my job, you have to deal with people. You have to understand people and you have to make people doing what you think is right in a very convincing, humble uh, manner with a lot of respect. Um, and I think actually, if I look back at my career, that's what I gained out of all of this. You know, I've been, yes, you can name all, we can drop all these names that I worked for. But in the end, what I actually learned is fantastic people and how to deal with people. And I think a good turnaround practitioner, a good restructuring or how we call it in South Africa, very often business rescue practitioner needs to be someone who has really good people skills. Okay, cool. Uh, I think the, 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 the people aspect, uh, definitely, definitely key, um, you know, on that front because at the end of the day, um, organizations are 
you know, uh, simply uh, a collective of people. Um, and when I'm just thinking, you know, through what you said, one of the things um, that sort of strikes me, you know, is... Uh, I guess some of the terminology that uh, that we use, you know, out there because um, we have businesses in South Africa. Um, I think in the airline industry, for example, that's been, you know, uh, those have been some of the high profile business rescue cases, um, you know, that we've been seeing. I think Comair uh, being, uh, you know, the high, the most high profile. Uh, but even before. You know, you get to business rescue. You do have in the pub, in the private sector, for example, some of the JSC listed companies will, before they get to their business rescue, they will go and find a new CEO who is, uh, you know, this turnaround expert. So maybe uh, we can spend a little bit of time actually defining, you know, what do we mean by a turnaround, right? Because uh, some people um, go and employ turnaround experts before business rescue. Some people go and do it, I guess, you sort of reactively, you know, now that things are bad, you decide, okay, fine, maybe we need uh, turnaround experts. So yeah, maybe getting a little bit of definition and actually what goes into it. Yeah. And and that's a really good question, Mudiva, um, because that really touches my heart. And that's actually what my company is around. Um, you're right. Most of the turnarounds and restructuring are of reactive nature. You know, something goes wrong and then suddenly external stakeholders like banks or lawyers or friends say, hey, buddy, you need to get someone in. <laughs> you need to get an expert in. But that is basically too late because such a decision, you know, you've done it. There's, there's a problem in a company. Somebody tells you get, get someone in. And that is not a proactive decision of you as a shareholder or as a manager to get someone in. So such a restructuring and turnaround is actually off from a bad start somehow because it's someone imposed on you instead of selecting that individual. Um, and then what you see very often is there's a lot of resistance between the shareholders, the existing management team, and the new individual like the business rescue practitioner or turnaround specialist coming in. And then a turnaround typically starts with a fight. <laughs> you know, who has to say? Who is right? How do you dare telling me that I do something wrong? Because it goes from a very wrong start. And I have been in many, many of these situations. Uh, and in these situations, what's very important, the way we do it, number one is you have to listen to the people. So a turnaround expert is a really good listener. Secondly, you have to be really transparent and based on data analysis. Data speak their own language. Data is easy because data can be interpreted, but data is data. You can't change it. And if you, as a turnaround expert, are able to do the right analysis, to put it in front of the people, and then have the skill to bring the people together to understand what's about this data and what it means, then you unlock basically a phase where you can turn around the company. And what does it mean turning around the company? For me, in most of my cases, it means going back to the roots. You know, you started off your business with an idea. You followed it. You've grown, you've grown, you've grown. And because you wanted to grow more, you have added more and more to the puzzle. But suddenly the puzzle has become so big, you can't handle it anymore. So in many of my cases, we're basically taking away all of this extra stuff that you don't need. Um, be what you are. You know, you started a bakery, be a baker, 
you started a, a radio station, <laughs> be a radio station and don't don't be a full service provider. Um, and 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 that is, I think, what a turnaround expert has to bring to the table to see that and to to convince people. So what I love to do in my company is actually we want to get into what we call turnaround. We call it actually proactive turnaround. That is your example of a new CEO is being brought in. And suddenly that person means or sees I have to shake the business from the grounds. I have to understand what's going wrong here. And then if somebody, a CEO like this, hires someone like us, it's a completely different game because it was proactively choosing a turnaround expert. So you get someone in who helps you and you are much more open to the ideas of an outsider. And then you don't have this first phase of convincing, but you can start immediately to see what's going, what's going wrong, what's not going wrong. I had a client in Johannesburg and he made, he painted the perfect picture. He was after like four weeks of working with me, he was trying to explain to his ex-co what we're actually doing. <laughs> and he said, imagine you have a house which you're living in for 20 years. And now you want to turn it around into a new house. And the first thing you have to do to be able so, you have to unclutter the house. And that means you have to question everything which is in every room. And you have to throw things away that you actually like a lot. And this is kind of what turnaround actually is. You know, you want to rebuild a house from, I don't know, it's 20 years old. You want to modernize it. And first of all, you have to unclutter it to be able to modernize it. Uh, using the example that you've just you know given us then um because i'm I, i'm still here trying to drill down on what it means to actually turn around the business um because on the one hand at least in a business rescue proceeding right you have the practitioners actually coming in and taking over the actual you know um operational roles of running um a company but um, from the example that you've just given us about the client and then them going to Exco, you know, that sounds more like a consultation, um, you know, type of, uh, you know, type of role. Um, so in your, in your, in your work over the years, and I guess in your work now, um, you know, in your current company, is it a consultative role? Um, is it, uh, is it a complete takeover of operational control? Uh, where do you guys normally sit? Um, so maybe a little bit of theory. So business rescue is in the US, we would call it chapter 11 or in Europe, we would call it the pre-insolvency procedure. And business rescue is just a special law that allows you to do certain things differently. For example, if you have to negotiate with landlords, it's easier to do in a business rescue setting because you can pull certain levers that you can't pull if you're not in a business rescue. My company, we're not doing that much of a business rescue. We're trying actually to turn around companies before they get into business rescue. So the vision of my company is actually to render um, insolvency and liquidation obsolete. That's for a restructuring professional, a pretty big vision. Um, but we want to actually get ahead of the curve. We want to help companies before they get in too much trouble. And how do we do it? Coming to your question. Uh, in our instance, and I just did it in a big gig in Europe, and we're now doing it in a cer certain uh, engagements in, in Africa, we are installing someone who is called a chief restructuring officer. In essence, a chief restructuring officer is not that much different than a business rescue practitioner. A chief restructuring officer like a CEO in a troubled company, I would call it that way. 
And that individual works with all the rest of the management team, making sure that we lift every single stone. We look underneath every stone and see if there's something rotten. And if there's something rotten, we clear it up. Um, if it's not rotten, we put it back and say, keep it because it's cool. Um, and in the end, what a chief restructuring officer, but also a business rec a rescue practitioner is doing is he is just facilitating a process that everybody is able to look underneath every single stone and is able to admit there is something rotten. One of the biggest mistakes I see in turnaround is management teams. And actually, I understand that they are not able to see what's going wrong in the business. So why are you not able to see it? Because you created it. So imagine you created something, you put all of your heart in it for five or 10 years, and suddenly an outsider comes in and said, mm, that doesn't work anymore. That's a big emotional challenge for a manager. So I would say a chief restructuring officer, what we most of the time to or business re rescue practitioner is actually a really good stakeholder manager, someone who understands people and who can make sure that everybody is motivated in lifting these stones and trying to uncover what's wrong. And also, I believe the secret in a successful business rescue or restructuring or how we call it a proactive turnaround is actually to be able to do that. You know, numbers, everybody can do. Financial analysis, everybody somehow can do. And you can be a master or you're just good. But really bringing the people to do this turnaround work, which is heavy lift work, um, that's actually the key to success from my point of view. Uh, I really like, uh, you know, the explanations. And, one of, and I know that someone who's never gone through uh, something like this might have a question of uh, responsibility and reporting lines. You know, if you if you are employed to come in and do um, this type of uh, proactive restructuring, um, let's say you are the what do you call this? You are the chief restructuring officer. Who are you answerable to? Are you answerable to the CEO, to the board of directors, um, to? To your company, you know, like, uh, you know, sort of like as a pseudo independent person, you know, and you're reporting back to the company, like, how do the reporting lines work in such a, such a situation? Because I'm pretty sure there's a, that when you get into a company, uh, in that role, there tends to be some of that tension because, uh, people, uh, in corporates, you know, you have uh, executives that are like literally they're not called chief something something for nothing. They run little kingdoms and some of them might not want to, you know, give up uh, their little kingdom for you to look underneath, uh, you know, the, the, the stones, uh, you know, to use the example that you were giving. Um, very, very interesting question. So and, and this is this is art. So what we are discussing now, this is the art of turnaround. So who is typically engaging someone like us? This is most of the time, is it either the board or directly the shareholder, or it's one of the banks or lenders. So it's someone actually who is either a governance body like the board or it's someone with financial interest in the company. So now imagine South Africa and the board of directors is engaging me, for example, or my company or someone else for my team to do a chief restructuring officer role. It means from a typical or pure corporate governance perspective, I am reporting into the board. 
So now it comes exactly what you just said. <laughs> now you have a CEO who's running the business. You have a group or whatever CFO, and they are also running the business. And suddenly there's a third person called chief restructuring officer. And the board says to the chief restructuring officer, you're responsible for turning around the company. <laughs> but the CEO, of course, is the chief executive. Um, so what I'm trying to say is there's always official hierarchy and governance. But the art of success in my business is to have an in unofficial hierarchy that is working, which for me only works if the CRO can make sure that the CEO, CFO, COO, however you call them, company secretary, and the CRO together work as a team. And that is something that I think a, a turnaround expert has to achieve within the first, I don't know, first two, three weeks, a certain level of trust. It's difficult if you imagine how long it takes to build trust. But if you can build this trust within the first few weeks, then you have a chance to work together as a team. My most successful turnarounds were the turnarounds where I actually now, after the turnaround, I'm in a, I have a really good friendship with the CEO. So when I was able to have the CEO on my side and we work together as a team, regardless of hierarchy, then the turnaround or restructuring was always very successful. If you can't make this happen, it's high likelihood the turnaround is failing because you're working against each other. Yeah, it certainly sounds like there's a lot of uh, the teamwork uh, that you sort of have to uh, engender. And I guess that's why you called it an art. But also at the same time, you started off talking about people earlier because you do need to deal with um, the egos, the personalities, and all of these uh, competing interests that you, you know, have to deal with. And, uh, you know, most of the time, um, you know, a business restructuring you know expert of some sort is always uh, measured um against the success of their turnarounds uh but before but you've mentioned the fact that you you've been successful in a number of cases and we mentioned uh some of the companies that you've worked with um you know earlier on uh but i wanted to get your sense because um you know in doing uh, some prep for this uh, session um, we heard that uh, you had an interesting situation where you were fired as the CEO um, of a listed company in Germany. Uh, could you take us through, you know, something like that? Uh, was it a turnaround situation? Was it the normal course of business? And, you know, what have you learned, <laughs> you know, from uh, some of those things? Because a lot of the time people don't always want to admit, you know, uh, where things have not gone their way. Yeah, so it, it, it was a turnaround. It was um, in 2009 and 2010. At that point of time, of course, I was much younger <laughs> um, than, I'm, than, I'm, than I'm today and, of course, not as experienced as I was. So I was at the beginning of my 30s. I was CEO and chief restructuring officer of a stock-listed company in Germany. And we went through a very hard time. We had two years of financial restructuring, a lot of debates with lenders. We had over 100 banks included. It was a high-profile case, and I was able to do a complete financial restructuring of the group. And as one last step of that restructuring, we sold the company to a consortium of private equity players. And what then happened is, after they took over the company, they, of course, wanted to grow. 
But I, in my mindset, was still in the financial restructuring space. So whenever we met, so the new shareholders and the existing CEO myself met, I was talking about how we finalized the financial restructuring, but they were talking about how to grow the business. And then I think it was just what happened. They decided, listen, he's not the right guy anymore. He's done a fantastic job in his role, but now we want to have a CEO who is talking about growth. And we are the expert in financial analysis and financial restructuring. So overnight, they decided to replace me, called me into the office. It was 9 a.m. in the morning, told me I can go home. I had to leave my mobile phone, my car, <laughs> my laptop, my keys. So it was really uh, a little bit of a shock. Um, but in the end, if I look at it, it most likely was the best that ever could have happened to me because I learned a few things out of it. Number one is I was not fired because I was a bad manager. In the contrary, I did the biggest and most prominent restructuring in those two years in Europe. Um, and I got a lot of you know, honor for it. Um, secondly, I learned it is just the way it is. You know, if I'm not always fit for purpose, nobody would hire me to grow tremendously a business. That's just not who I am. I'm a restructuring expert. And thirdly, what I learned is that experience taught me humbleness and humility. And I know how it feels to be retrenched. I know how it feels when you're going to the office at 8.30 and return 9.30 without a car, <laughs> mobile phone and laptop, and I have to tell your wife I just was retrenched. Um, and that hopefully makes me a better person uh, in the sense when we have to retrench people. Because I know how it feels when you walk home, you know, like a, like a, a, like a dog, you know, you don't know how to feel. Um, and, and, and hence, if, if we do restructuring, operational restructuring, where we have to lay off people, we do it with the highest level of respect because it's not of the because of the individual, it's because of the situation. Um, yes, it was a shock. I have to admit when they fired me in the first instance, now, after many, many years, when I look back, I have to say it was the best that ever could have happened to me. Yeah, that's, uh. It literally sounds like a scene out of, uh, what you call this, out of a movie, um, you know, or something like that. Uh, yeah. And also at the same time, I guess it's an interesting one because most of the time when it comes to things like retrenchments, uh, you often think about, uh, you know, people at the bottom of the pyramid or middle management, you know, cutting the fat, as they say. Uh, but in your particular situation, um, you have a board that felt like you were you you had been good at the restructuring but you were not the best person for the growth um you know phase uh, of the bill of uh, uh of the company which is you know very interesting so definitely a lot of experience from that end uh, one can only imagine uh, the type of emotions even at that level you are a ceo uh, but i'm pretty sure that it's a similar feeling for anyone who arrives at work thinking there it's a normal work day and then walks out you know a few minutes later without without a job and in your case a laptop a phone a car and you know all of all of that yeah so you know definitely lots of experience and maybe that's where we can end off today's discussion michael um uh, is to say with all the experience that you now have and uh, the value of hindsight you know, into how things happened in your own life and some of the restructurings that you have been uh, part of and privy to. 
how do you characterize the current landscape in South Africa? Because um, I guess it, we're circling back to where we began the conversation. You have not, apart from the fact that you and your wife like South Africa, f- as a businessman, you haven't come out of here. Yeah, you haven't come to South Africa out of nowhere. There's opportunity that you're seeing. Uh, so just uh, maybe talk to us about that opportunity. Is it in the public sector? Is it state-owned? Is it private? What are you seeing on the ground? Um, yeah, so in the end, of course, uh, we as a family, it's nice to live in South Africa and sunny South Africa, but also we have to live our life and we need money. Um, so we also want to be successful. Um, and um, one of the reasons why we've selected South Africa is um, look at the economy, what happened. South Africa was growing tremendously, kind of 2000-ish until 2010. A lot of companies went through the roof. Incredible journey, incredible journey. And what that meant is a lot of companies had a lot of money. And what then happens culturally is <clears throat> these companies getting complacent. You know, you have money, business is running. Yes, maybe we're not growing 10% a year, but we're growing like 1% a year. We still have a lot of cash at the bank. And then because you've been so successful, it's it's natural. You know, it's human beings. We're becoming complacent. And we're forgetting a little bit that we from time to time have to reinvent our company. Otherwise, we're not modern anymore. We're not market standard anymore. And I believe there are a lot of companies in South Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa that have gone through that journey. They are still doing well. We've done a lot of analysis on the JSE, for example. And I can see with my experience that there are companies out there. They are on paper still doing well. They're actually doing well, but they haven't really reinvented themselves in the last 10, 15 years. And in today's world, where with technology disruption, everything is changing so fast you basically have to change this company. And this is where I see the opportunity for me and my company. And this is what we call, we have generated a product which we call Proactive Turnaround. And this is the big opportunity I see in this market. All right. So uh, that brings us, uh, you know, quite neatly to the end of today's discussion. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get Michael back on, you know, in a, in a couple of months, uh, time to give us some, some war stories, um, of, uh, you know, what he, uh, you know, some of the turnarounds, uh, that, uh, he's been part of, you know, um, in this phase, um, you know, of his career. Very fascinating discussion, especially just uh, giving us some insight because I think a lot of the time in the general discourse um, of, uh, you know, on a national level, we always talk about business rescue, we always talk about turnarounds, but, you know, actually getting into the nitty gritties of what does it mean on the ground? Um, you know, who is actually hiring these people? What leads to, you know, some of these things? Um, how can companies avoid being reactive and uh, actually get to them get themselves to being uh, getting to a point where you actually recognize uh, the fact that you do need a change and uh, whatever change needs to happen uh, is not going to come out of the existing management but you need different voices to come in because uh, I like one of the things that Michael said where he said a lot of the time people don't 
see the problem because they were part of uh, creating the problem. Um, so, you know, getting in those outside voices, you know, very important. So uh, definitely going to continue, you know, watching this space to see what happens. And also, you know, like we said, um, there's a lot of opportunity, uh, like what, uh, like what uh, Michael was saying, um, you know, just for some of these things, particularly in the proactive space. So that's been it. We were talking uh, to Michael Dorn, who is uh, the founder and CEO of RT. Uh, they are business turnaround experts. Michael, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity to chat to you. Thanks. This is Mudiwa's Take. As always, a fascinating discussion, but also at the same time uh, highlighting um, the need uh, for different type of thinking um, when you are in business. This reminds me a lot of uh, the way that we, uh, in the consumer world, uh, that we tend to think about insurance. A lot of the time, insurance is said to be a grudge purchase. That means you begrudgingly pay um, for insurance most of the time because it's just money out of your pocket and more often than not, you hardly ever use this money. But the day that you do need to go to the doctor, the day that your car needs to be fixed or whatever it is that is insured, um, you are so glad and grateful uh, that you do have that cover because you would have gone out of pocket um, to actually cover some of those um, some of those expenses and I think the same parallels can be drawn um, when it comes to a proactive approach to um, business turnaround because you don't always have to wait until literally the wheels are falling off for you to go and decide that you're doing a business turnaround because if you think about some of the most successful companies that have had an enduring legacy, a lot of them have had periods of reinvention um, over time. You recognize the fact that yeah, well, whatever worked 5, 10, 20 years ago is no longer it and you find a way to restructure um, you know, your operating model and then you keep it moving uh, from that point of view. So definitely that proactive approach is certainly going to be key. And hopefully we can see more and more people taking um, this proactive approach because it would be nice to have some of those enduring companies. We can't be having, um, you know, more and more business rescues because uh, there's always a danger that, you know, things won't turn around and then uh, companies are forced to go into liquidation to close down um, and the like but in a country that uh, needs jobs as much as South Africa does um, you know perhaps uh, turning around some of the existing businesses is um, the way to go when one thinks about uh, I follow the telecoms industry for example and you can literally see them you know going through rapid changes all the time uh, recognizing the fact that the old voice and uh, the old voice and even you know mobile data to, to an extent uh, business is no longer um, you know the bread and butter that it was back in the day now you need to adapt you need financial services um, you need to get into you know content um, in certain cases 
cases now it's no longer about mobile towers it's about fiber you know and the same can be seen in the in the world of retail you know brick and mortar is now being supplemented by a lot of your online and e-commerce activity so all of those reinventions are keeping companies current um, and you know sort of bulletproofing them to go into the future and you need uh, more and more actions like that so uh, as I said we will wait to see how things go uh, but uh, hoping uh, that uh, this proactive approach is definitely going to become something that's more mainstream a very ambitious goal uh, to not have any more business rescues uh, but we'll see how it goes And that's been it for this edition of the Business Day Spotlight. Remember that you can find our latest podcast on Business Live. That's under the podcast Business Day Spotlight tab on Twitter. We're hashtag BD Spotlight. And remember that you can review and subscribe for free on iono.fm, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you choose to get your pods casted. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producer is Paige Muller. I've been Mudio Gavaza of the Business Day and Financial Mail. And this has been another edition of the Business Day Spotlight which is a multimedia live production. So for myself and the rest of the team, it is a good evening, good afternoon, and good morning.